Um, I love New Jersey. I come back often. Um, my wife loves the people of New Jersey. Uh, she's a Southern girl, grew up on a farm in North Carolina. So when uh, we felt the call really to do what I'm doing now, um, I help strengthen and encourage churches and church planting around the world now with my ministry. I also share the gospel directly. Recently was in New England uh, sharing the gospel on uh, Ivy League campuses, uh, also involved in helping the church thoughtfully engage our culture uh, with the gospel and Christian apologetics, Christian thought. Those are the kinds of things I'm doing. And so uh, my wife wanted to be based a little bit closer to her mom and dad so we moved back to Blacksburg, Virginia, where Virginia Tech is, a college town, university town, intellectual town, uh, and two hours from uh, the grandparents. I have a kids, man, 17-year-old daughter looking at colleges, uh, 15-year-old daughter as well as a 12-year-old son, and it has been wonderful. If you have family near you, it's been wonderful for us to be kind of close, because my family's a train wreck. The guys heard yesterday, so I was like, I don't care where I've lived near my mom and dad. This is kind of a mess. Uh, but my uh, in-laws, my wife's family, are wonderful, wonderful people. Thanks, Mike, for that introduction. It's wonderful to see uh, the fruit that God brings. Uh, many times in life, uh, there's a sense that, wow, God's doing something, and there's other times where there's just little things that happen that turn into much, much uh, greater works of the Lord that happen. I really enjoy it. Like, Mike, come to, come, just come up to my house tomorrow, and they're like, all right, we'll do it. I'm like, oh, I like this guy. He's got a little gumption to him, a little, a little flow. He was in D.C. metro area at a massive church, uh, and his wife is from Jersey. I was like, oh, you're good, man. You'll be here for the rest of your life. Um, and... Uh, what a beautiful blessing for me uh, to be here amongst you today, seeing the fruit of the work of the gospel here in North Jersey. Well, anytime you want to see a snapshot of a community, there's many ways you could go about that, particularly today. Uh, for instance, preparing to be with the men yesterday, I just went on to the Church of Bergen website, looking around, watching videos, getting a little picture of who you are today. Today, there's lots of ways we might represent a community. You're out with your friends. You might take a snap. You might put it on Instagram. You might text some people some pictures. But in the ancient world, I think they had a better way of representing what a community looked like because they did this old school technique called writing letters. And we have some of these in our Bible to see what the Christian community looked like in its seed form. Now, a lot of times you hear, man, I wish we were just like the early church. I was like, well, you are. They fight with each other. They get in trouble with each other. It's hard. It's difficult. They're beautiful following Jesus on his mission. And today we get to look at a little snapshot at one of those communities in the early church in the ancient world. We're going to be in the book of 1 Thessalonians today. The very end of the book, chapter 5, actually, just a few verses, four verses, 5, 12 through 15. But because this is at the end of the snapshot of this community, I'm going to just summarize this church in Thessalonica, which is a city in modern day, it's even a modern, pretty large city in Greece today. So I'm going to run us into chapter 5 by doing the 30-second recounting of the entire book. Thank you. I 
will do my best. A church was born. There was lots of drama. In fact, they didn't like it, man. People got upset. And so this guy, Paul, who was planting, helping plant the gospel there, literally had to be helicoptered out of there. Not with a real helicopter. It's the early first century. But you get what I'm saying. It was, t- it was a dramatic situation. People wanted to kill him, so they had to evacuate him at night. And later on, he wanted to see how these, this people was doing, so he sent one of his friends there. Hey, how, how's it going there after that thing happened? And it was going really well. That there was a people there that had realized that God loved them and chose them and appointed them for a life of faith. And that their reputation in the Christian world at the time was growing. There are people of faith and love and steadfastness, and they had hope in Jesus. They had turned from worshiping things that weren't God to worshiping God, and the good news was now ringing out from them. And it was a family of authenticity and love, working through suffering, affliction, and temptation, learning to have joy together as a community, learning to say no to some cultural rhythms, in this case, sensuality and sexuality in the ancient world, and handling life with one another, not objectifying each other, but loving one another with a brotherly and sisterly affection. A snapshot of a beautiful work of God. Now, at the end of 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 5, there's this kind of rapid uh, series of commands And some people say, wow, did he just forget to say some things and just kind of try to get it all out there at the end like sometimes we do in sermons, right? Mike probably never does that. He's probably all got it all right, right? Was he just saying, oh yeah, this, be joyful, always pray without ceasing, everything, give thanks, do do all that. Well, if you look at what's said from, from verses 12 through the end of the book, it is this rapid succession But it's remarkably similar to some other teaching we see from the Apostle Paul who wrote this, one of the early Christian leaders, in Romans chapter 12. In fact, New Testament scholars believe this isn't some random buckshot happening. Uh, For those who don't have guns or seen guns, that's a shotgun uh, reference where things spray all over the place, all right? I know I'm in New Jersey. I tried to buy a BB gun once for my son in New Jersey from Amazon. Can't do it, man. Got to get that gun license. Can't shoot in your backyard either. I tell people that in Texas, they lose their minds, right? They just lose, they lose their minds. It's not this random scattering of commands, but New Testament scholars think this is very likely the teaching for new believers about what this community is to be like. What this community is to be like. My message is called Life Together in the Gospel. What is the gospel community like? Now, if I were to ask you a question, what makes a community good? What would you say? And if I were to ask you, what makes a community difficult or hard? What would you say? Yes. Bible scholar. It's beautifully the people and relationships that make a community good. And when it's bad, it's the same thing. Of course, none of you kind people would ever make anything difficult for anyone else, right? 
(laughs) What makes a beautiful community is when people stay together, love together, work together, repent of sin together, have a common mission together, enjoy each other's uniqueness and personalities and quirks and idiosyncrasies. When a community of human beings to come together in a beautiful way, let's simply say some assembly is required. Now, I'm going to show you a picture here, okay? This is just Legos, right? Or Lego. Europeans will correct you to take the S off that. I stink at these things, man. And my son loved them. Somebody give my son a Lego set. Hey, look, you put the other Gandalf in the, the orcs. And, and I'm like, oh, man, I cannot do this. I, I have a degree in applied computer science and physics. I have a logical mind. But I, I think it's a character defect. I don't have the patience to put this kind of thing together. Thankfully, my son had two older sisters that loved putting together Lord of the Rings Lego sets. But with this kind of building, right, pieces have to fit together in a certain way. And when they are put together that way, something beautiful begins to emerge, begins to emerge. At the same time, community is hard because people are selfish, right? If I were to ask everyone here today, is there any selfish people here? I hope everyone would raise their hand. Because at some point in time, we are that way. In fact, one of the clearest reasons that human communities, whether the smallest communities, fragment and dissolve is because we each want to go our own way. We want to be like the other kid that's, you know, building the Legos. There's another kid. I've seen it in my household who wants to come and break stuff, right? I've set up all my blocks. And then you hear someone screaming. Why? Someone in his house has been selfish, right? Mom, Dad, you said she did that. It's the human community and condition. Jesus showed a different way. This is out of Philippians 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection or sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped at, but emptied himself, taking the form of the servant, being made in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Even the one who is God of God, who became flesh, showed us the way to love has to be humility. Humility. And it's difficult to make a robust, loving community because we are sinful people. That's why we need to be encouraged and exhorted and pushed, what, to follow Jesus, live like him with one another. In doing so, we learn to forgive other people. And, and to overlook an offense even. All of our flaws come together. All of your awesomeness come together. Why? 
Because in that mixture of a community, there is praise and honor and glory that results to the architect and builder of that community. Life together is the title for my message today because life together is better than life alone. God has intended us to be in relationship with him and others. And this is a deep blessing to our lives, but some assembly is required. Let's pray. Father, I just pray now that you would help us see into your word different parts of a community and ways of being, ways of interacting, even a culture of a community that's a blessing to us and a testimony to the world. I pray now, Father, you would give us uh, open hearts and ears to be taught by your, your Scripture, that your Spirit might apply it to our own life and circumstance, that we might be changed and build well together here in North Jersey. And Father, we ask you now to lead us by the Word and the Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. We're looking at just a few verses this morning. We'll start here in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. We ask you brothers. Now this word brothers here is a, is a plural term that refers to kind of siblings in a family. It could be like, we ask you fam, right? Family. To respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. At some point between the time that the gospel first hit the ground in this city and people became followers of Christ, a report was brought back to Paul that this community was becoming a church. And Paul is now saying to give respect. The word could be, say, to recognize almost. These people and the role God had given them amongst the gospel community. They're described as those who labor among you. Labor among you. The word here means to give oneself to difficult and exhausting labor in a community. Now, I've been in full-time kind of Christian service of some sort for like 23 years. Uh, out of those years, 12 of those I spent in direct pastoral ministry in local churches, both in a, like a, a huge mega church as well as in a seedling of a church meeting my house that bloomed into something much more sizable. And I can just say this, I picked this text this morning to share with you because if I could say anything to you today about your pastors is that their work is difficult. Not that they're looking for a badge, not that they would even ask me to say this today, but I've been in places where church communities just want to go at and wear out their pastors. Pastoral ministry is a strange thing. Pastors and elders are human beings with human hearts like yours, with families like yours. And they get this weird position, it's this weird seat uh, in the world that is both beautiful and glorious at times and just dark and deadly at times. It's almost like you get, you get to be present when babies are born and weddings happen and then you get to bury people. 
and see the most horrible decisions made that wreck human lives. And many times, you don't get a lot of thank you notes. And many times, people who are just frustrated with life tend to just go at pastors in the church. Labor amongst the people is the work of an elder. And it's hard work. In light of that, right, we're going to look at how we relate to this part of the community. Now, I love the word labor among. Among means they're part of the family. They're not these, like, people outside, oh, I'm the big dog. No, no, no. If you got that, yes, let's uh, address that. But they're part of the family. They have a certain responsibility, Now, the word over you in the Lord means that they were to govern the church. And there were ones that thought thoughtful and careful about the benefit of God's sheep and people. New Testament scholar Gene Green said it this way, those who governed the church were at the same time as the one who sought her benefit and cared for her. In the context here, the phrase in the Lord is linked specifically with this pastoral function of leadership they were to they are laboring among they are responsible people for the church and then they have a third role that we all love they admonish you admonish now i don't know growing up i didn't grow up around churches or anything like that my dad's an atheist guy i didn't come to faith till i was 20 years old i never used the word admonishment right now now i was admonished a lot right because I was, a, I was a wrestler, man. I, I grew up scrapping, went to college on a wrestling scholarship, and, and I had coaches that admonished me all the time. Hey, this is not quite right. Here's the way to go, right? It means to help forward in a way, to teach, correct, give counsel, be an instrument in the hand of God to help people change. Correction and leadership sometimes go hand in hand. It's necessary. We really don't like stepping on anybody's toes in our day, right? We don't want anybody to be offended by anything. But the people who have helped me the most in my life have admonished me, corrected something that needed corrected, lovingly cared to give me counsel that helped me to change. And here's the thing, that part of the Christian life doesn't belong just to pastors It belongs to the whole congregation of Christians. In fact, the beautiful thing is, a leader who's serving and leading well will help us do this crucial aspect of growth for one another. Romans 15, 14 says this, I myself am satisfied about you, family, that you yourselves are now full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to instruct or able to admonish one another. Setting an example for the church, pastoral teams ought to teach the church to instruct and counsel, love and encourage one another. And that will make a community beautiful and good. Peter, another one of Jesus' early followers, said it this way, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, right? 
but willingly as God would have you, pastors, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Leaders that serve well do so as part of the family amongst the sheep, exercising their oversight with joy unto God and admonishing not in a domineering way, but in an exemplary way. Being an example. Being an example. And what kind of leader was Jesus himself? Because look, when someone says, come follow me, and folk do, that's a leader. Just by definition, as simple as can be. But not all leaders are the same. They don't have the same flow of life. They don't have the same posture in relationship to those they lead. What kind of leader was Jesus, and what kind of leaders does he want us to be? I love this passage in Mark chapter 10. Jesus called his friends to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Now, when he says this, they, they would have had the imperial power of the Ro- Roman Empire in view, right? What do they like? They like glory and parades and triumph for themselves. They like to put their boots on the necks of other people and then celebrate that for themselves. You know this. Those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. For whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Respect that kind of leader. They're respectable. Recognize them. Verse 13. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, because of this work they're doing, esteem them very highly in love and be at peace among yourselves. What does it mean to hold someone in high regard and love them well? Over the years when I was a pastor, there were people that God would just lead to just bless me, not make a show of it, not tell anybody. A man named Joe Kerr, I came home one time to my house because I, 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 I bought like the cheapest lawnmower you could buy like at Home Depot, like this beat up little junky thing and it, and it lasts like 38 minutes and, but I still cut my grass with it. And, and my friend Joe, who was a retired guy, came over and used to cut my grass when I traveled you know, during the summer and speak different places. And he cut my grass. And I just came one, home one day, and I had a brand new, amazing Honda pull at one time, starts every time. Lawnmower in my, I was like, Joe, you left your lawnmower at my, at my crib, man. What, what happened here? He's like, no, 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 that's your lawnmower. I didn't know what to say. Got a, little te- got a little teary-eyed, you know what I'm saying? People said, hey, man, why don't you take your wife out to dinner this week? I'm like, I don't, I, not in the budget. No, 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 why don't you go? Ways to love pastors. I always think the elders that don't like to be hugged, you ought to hug them. No, I'm just kidding, man. <laughs> you, 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 you ever seen that? They're like, you know, 
What's up, bro? You know? I'm a wrestler. I'm touchy, so I like messing with those guys. What if the church thought strategically about ways to esteem and highly regard and love the elders of their churches? That would be a good day for us. Now, here's the thing about leaders, because i got to pause and speak to my special friends in every church. Some of you like to be what we call the devil's advocate, right, in the church. Well, you know, I'm just the devil's advocate here. But we don't like the devil in the church, right? <laughs> I'm just a rebel. Okay, what are you trying to accomplish with your rebellion against God? Here's the thing. Leaders are human, they sin. They need to be called upon that, and they need to repent and help change. But you can help them be better leaders when they know we're all on the same team. And this is practical throughout all of life for us. How can you encourage others that have a leadership responsibility? How can you encourage those who give of their time to lead growth groups? How can you be at peace with yourselves? Why does he have to add this at the end of verse? Be at peace amongst yourselves. Because we, we start wars. We start fires all the time. What about your biological family? How would you take this be at peace amongst yourself into that world? You're like, now, Reed, you're, you're meddling. You're a guest speaker. Stop meddling, right? We, we have family situations where there isn't peace amongst ourselves. How would God want us to walk into that and be at peace with others? Leaders are actually here to help. We need to help them lead by loving and following well. Together with leaders, that's a piece of the community. And then together with one another, with all of us, look with me at verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, here's that word again, family, we urge you, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. This is, this is a recipe for beauty and goodness in community. And urging is like, hey, we need to live this way. This is our passion. This is our way. I want you to do this, family. How's this break down? We urge the family, right? We urge the family. What? Admonish the idol. Advise, warn, give counsel. Come alongside to push a little bit. Those who aren't doing anything helpful or profitable in life. Undisciplined, causing trouble. Admonish. Encourage. I love this word in the scriptures. Encourage. It's actually a coming together of two, uh, two Greek words. Uh, parakaleo. Called alongside. Called alongside. What are you alongside each other for? If you see someone who's depressed... They're fainting in heart, low in spirit. The word here literally means small in the soul. We all get there. Let's not posture like we're strong all the time. Faint-hearted, small in soul. We need someone to come alongside us to pick us up. Encouragement is needed there, not admonishment. 
And then finally, help the weak. Help the weak. Those who have no power for themselves. We should come along, hold them up, hold them close, and help people. This is the beauty of gospel community. And the last part of this says, be patient with everyone. Be patient with them all. Why do we need patience with human beings? <laughs> you know what doesn't come really quickly? Is wisdom. And as you relate to human beings, right, we need wisdom. We don't hug the idol and give them more Cheetos on the couch. We kick them in the butt, right? We, we do. We should. You warn. You give counsel. Let's get to work, son, right? You don't kick the faint-hearted. You cheer them up. You don't let go of the broken. You stay in to help mend people and hold them fast in love. We have to have patience. Lord, thank you that people have been patient with me. Patience means we're not giving up on human beings in the gospel community. Why? God doesn't. He's patient with us. And we should be patient with one another. We are the idol at times. We are the faint-hearted at times. We are the weak. He is strong. He is strong. We're humans, not superhuman. Change takes a lot of time and a lot of work of God on each of us. This is the type of togetherness, right, that's beautiful over time because it's not a faking it, oh, we're all perfect community. That's a bunch of noise, right? We don't need that. We need an honest, confessing sin. God is good. We need help. Over time, loving one another together. Community. That is beautiful in this world, which is impatient with just about everything and everyone. Verse 15, why? Leaders together with the church, together for all in a certain way. Finally, for the good of everyone, verse 15. See to it that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to, to one another and to everyone. Okay. This is one of those scriptures that's so clear. So clear. I don't need to explain to you. What does this mean? Strange words in English and in Greek. What does this mean, Mike? I like to look at it this way. You guys remember the Kia Soul launched? This is a car. Anybody drive a Kia Soul? You're rocking it out? No? Okay. <laughs> Anyone driving a toaster? This was a commercial, right? Um, that has continued the Kia Soul hamsters, right? And this particular one, the, they launched the Kia Soul with an ad campaign uh, to a 90s hip-hop song uh, called The Choice is Yours by the Black Sheep. And it goes, you can go with this or you can go with that, right? You can go with this or you can go with that, right? 
got a nice little flow to it. The commercial, I'm like, my kids liked it. We're like, dun, 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 you know. And you see somebody driving a Kia Soul, you could go with this, and somebody driving a toaster and a cardboard box and in a washing machine, right? It's clear what this ad campaign means. You can go with this. Nice. Or you can go with that. Not so nice. This is what's set before us in the scriptures. Two ways of life. Ways of being a human being. An evil for evil culture. This is what we would call, in sociologists actually call, a revenge culture. Somebody punks me, i got to punk them back. Somebody comes at me, I come at them back. The Bible says, see to it that no one lives this way. You hear that, you're like, well, man, most people live that way. I was taught to live that way. If you're not the lead dog, scenery never changes. That's a little placard my dad gave me before I went to college. It's a dog race reference from like dog racing in Alaska. They have dogs one after another running. And if you're not the lead dog, the scenery never changes. Why? Because you're looking right up, you know, there. Be first is what I was taught. Look out for number one. Take care of yourself. Handle your business. If somebody does something to you, you don't just say, oh, no. You get them back. You fight back. It's the way of the world. Returning evil for evil is natural to the human heart. We do it very well. There are conflicts in the world that have lasted thousands of years because of revenge culture. There are conflicts in families that last decades because of revenge culture. Many times it's not conscious, right? We just do it. The Bible says, see that no one lives this way. What is the alternative? Seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This is the way of life we need to choose. Now, listen to this wonderful teaching, because you might think, right, if I don't protect myself or fight back on everyone, what's going to happen to me? Or, or look, look, look at what they did. I'm not saying we should support injustice. No, no. But how do we respond can be under the authority of God or not. Listen to this passage in Romans 12, this parallel passage. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That means sometimes it won't be possible. But as far as it's up to you, reject the revenge culture, Try to honor people and do good to them. Live peaceably with all. Here's the kicker. Romans 12, verse 19. 
Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Okay. Okay. God does not want us to think that evil done does not matter. It matters a lot. There is a most just, most wise, all good, Father and Creator of all, who is the judge, whose judgment isn't blinded by rage and revenge and sinfulness. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you know what was some of the most successful moments when white people and black people worked together for civil rights in America were? When little kids were getting bit by dogs and everyone saw it. When nonviolent protest in the face of oppression was lived with upright courage, people saw, God saw. And when the response was, we're not being overcome by evil, but we shall overcome. Something good can take place. This is the way God would have his people to live in the world. Seeking out ways to do good. Jesus even said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When we do that, there's something beautiful to be seen in the gospel community in our world. What is our world like today? Political destruction campaigns on all sides. Wars, rumors of wars, hating peoples, class and racial divisions. These things travel with humanity. This is life under the sun. Families breaking and fracturing all the time. Jesus brought a better way. It's not easy, just better. We need his help by his spirit. We need to admonish, encourage one another to live this way. We need help to live this way. We need leaders to help us forward in this way. But here's the thing, friends. The beauty and unity of the gospel community is formed by the sacrificial love of a king who lived and died this way. Jesus revolutionized and is revolutionizing planet Earth all the time through his people, through the gospel. Why? When he suffered, he made no threats, and he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He was falsely accused, crucified, Treated horrendously, even death on a cross. That was for criminals to be embarrassed publicly with the most excruciating, painful death possible. Jesus said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, 
died for the wicked who were doing wickedness to him. And then God raised him up to new life and said, yes, this is the way. The way of forgiveness, the way of sacrifice, the way of love, the way of resurrection, the way of goodness and beauty together on planet earth, looking much more and more daily like the king. How does this happen to the lives of people? I didn't grow up that way. The grace of God appears. God's kindness to forgive you. God's kindness to welcome you. His kindness to admonish you, to bring you into his family, to give you a new life, and to give you a new community and a new way to live life together in him. Why do we take communion, right? My Irish Catholic uh, grandmother, all I knew is she said, don't do that when I was trying to eat it as a kid, right? Don't do that. Much, much later in life, Asher goes, why do we do this? One reason is amnesia. We forget stuff that we ought not to forget. Another reason is that we are needy to receive something from God. And at this table, we remember what Jesus was like, what he did, and what kind of community we're to be. A forgiven community that forgives. A sacrificial community that loves. And then we're also infused and given strength as worshipers to be the kind of community that overcomes evil with good. As this table is a sign of unity of the family of God, the Lord gave his life to bring people together. And we celebrate this sacrifice together as an act of worship to participate in a different story than a revenge story on planet Earth, but a redemption story by the grace of God. As you come today, I want to remind you something. This is from Jesus' teaching in his most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount. If you are offering up your gift at the altar, coming to worship, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Do you have people in your life today, in your family, in your circles of influence, in your workplace that you just have something with, you're not at peace with? This is a wonderful time for repentance, laying that down, and faith, trusting God for a different day in your, in your marriage your relationship with a, with a kid, your relationship with a person in the church, in your small group. What an opportunity we have to have repentance and faith birthed together today before Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that this table shows uh, a welcome and an acceptance and a willingness to transform sinful people like us that you're willing to forgive and you say to come to you for that, that you died a death to fulfill the wrath of God for our sins so we would pass freely into the family forgiven and restored fully as daughters and sons. And this table is an open place of fellowship with you. And Father, not only that, it's an invitation to a new life. 
an opportunity to turn from what is past into what is ahead of us by faith, to trust you as our Lord. And so, Lord, we just pray that you'd meet us here now in worship and we'd do the business we need to do with you here today. And Father, those things that are fractured, I pray you'd be a healer of even now. In Jesus' name, amen.